Because <clears throat> I, I, all right, that's better. Is that fine? Can everyone hear me? Okay, awesome. Oh, it's wonderful to be back. Uh, I haven't preached in a while, so I'm quite excited. And uh, yeah, I really, I really want to preach something that I feel the Lord did put on my heart. I, 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 re- I couldn't sleep on Friday night. Heike was like, why are you not sleeping? You're so restless. And I woke up at half past four needing to finish the sermon. And so I got up and I finished it. And only then did I find any kind of real peace because the Lord kept, I, I just, how do I finish this sermon, God? And I was praying and praying and praying and praying. And then suddenly it came to me. I was like, okay, thank you, Jesus. That's awesome. And uh, so I pray that it blesses you. And uh, I've titled this sermon, Welfare or Warfare. Now, I thought, what better time than the beginning of the year to really just make a declaration, right? What are we really here for? And so I hope it comes across with the heart it's intended to. Um, but let's jump into it. So I've got a video that I'm going to show just now. So just wait for the... Okay. So um, some of you might know, some of you might not know, I went to an all-boys school. Did anyone else here go to an all-boys school? Okay, Carl and Julian and Mariev, obviously. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and so going to an all-boys school in Cape Town is really a process of managing raging male testosterone. When you've got 500 boys in one school, there is going to be a fight almost every break time in the tuck shop about something really random, which results in those boys going to the principal's office. And this is very un-PC, but back in the day, we used to get things called jacks. And jacks were with a cane, and they were very sore. Okay, so that's kind of a really, in a nutshell, what it was like going to a boys' school. And there's a few ways that you can channel this raw male energy. (laughs) One of them is sports. So the reason why sport is so big in boys' schools is because you've got these guys who've got all this energy they need to get out. And so rugby is massive. Okay, massive. I didn't play rugby. I was an art student. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) which tells you a lot. But rugby, okay, that was one way. Another way was this thing called the war cry. Has anyone heard about a war cry? Okay, did your school have a war cry? All right, so in boys' schools, this is very big, and basically what it is, it's gathering the whole school together to create this kind of unity and conformity in preparation for a massive campaign. And generally, the campaign was that we were going to go play rugby against another school. And the war cry was meant to strike some kind of fear into the opposition. Is everyone, can, are the fans working? Okay, vaguely. Okay, I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to do it quickly. Okay, and the, the war cry was supposed to kind of instill fear into people. If you've watched rugby, you've seen the haka. And the New Zealand players come and they all look pretty mean and fierce and they do this dance. And they're shouting things and pulling faces. That is supposed to instill fear into the opposition. Okay, so at boys' schools, this is very big. And uh, we had one at Saks. And uh, it's an interesting thing. Well, we, <laughs> I won't say that. It's an interesting thing. So we did this thing, and what it looked like was before we went to go play another school. So when I say another school, I mean another boys' school. We didn't do the hacker before we went to play co-ed schools because we knew we'd win anyway. But, um, <laughs> but we'd, we'd all get in the hall, 500 boys. And you'd all put your arms around one another, and then you would wait. 
Imagine 500 boys silent in a hall. Silent, not a word. Waiting for this call from the prefect or the head boy or the, the rugby school captain, waiting for him to give the call to start the battle cry or the war cry. And actually, I was going to do it for you, but I asked my wife, and she was like, no, that's a very bad idea. <laughs> I, thought, I mean, a one-man war cry is not very intimidating. Okay. So I've got a video that I want to show you quickly of what, and I went to a school called Saks, best school in the Western Cape. Anyway, but, uh, but uh, this is what it looks like, and I'm going to make it a little bit bigger and, and try to make it a little bit louder, but this is valedictory day. So at the end of school, what we do is all of the tricks would get together and do one final war cry before leaving the school, and this is what it looks like. So, uh, so welcome to the secret world of boys' schools. Um, that's what happens, right. And so what you saw in the video, the first part, was these boys singing the traditional sax war cry. And you would think that this song had words of meaning and was powerful. Well, let me read you the words to the infamous sax war cry. It starts off with the word car, which is not a real word. Car, bumalaka, bumalaka, wa, wa, wa. <laughs> Chickalaka, chickalaka, cha, cha, cha. <laughs> Bumalaka, chickalaka, who are we? We are, we are the SAC. School, school, school. Yeah, sax, yeah, sax, yeah, sax. Fatum, 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 yeah. Is <laughs> it makes no sense. It is complete gibberish, actually. It's complete gibberish and bravado. But at the end of the war cry, in that hall, if the principal had told them that bishops were outside, there would have been a minor riot on the school's hands. Because everyone is so amped. You are so amped. It doesn't matter what you're singing. It doesn't matter what you're singing. It's the fact that you're with your friends and you guys are ready to go and attack the enemy. Okay. Not literally, figuratively. Okay. You get what I'm trying to say that war cry was because we were kind of trying to go for war. And why am I telling you this story? Why am I talking about like, boys' schools and war cries? Well, actually, we find war cries in Scripture. In fact, they've been part of war for generations. And we, I found the Scripture in Isaiah 42, 13. It says, the Lord goes out to fight like a warrior. Think about that for a second. The Lord, the Lord, okay? This is what we're talking about. The Lord goes out to fight like a warrior. 
He is ready and eager for battle. He gives a war cry, a battle shout. He shows his power against the enemies. I'm sorry, I would not like to be on the other side of the Lord giving a war cry. I'm scared enough of the All Blacks when they do the haka. Imagine the Lord doing a war cry and you're going, I'm facing this, this is God. Or we think of um, David when he goes to the front lines and his brothers are in the war with the Philistines and Goliath. In 1 Samuel 17, 20 says this, it says, David rose early in the morning and left the flock with the keeper and took, a, took supplies and went with Jesse has commanded him. And he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out to war uh, uh, to, in a battle array, shouting the war cry. So we see this thing in scripture in the Old Testament, part of who Israel was and what they were doing. And it's this collective cry, this bringing together of individuals in preparation for battle. And so you might be sitting there going, well, that's cool, Dylan. What is, I mean, war cries, what are they got to do with me? That's kind of the domain of boys' schools and battlefields. Why are we talking about war in January 2024? Because, dear friend, in case we have forgotten, we are at war. And we're not fighting against flesh and blood, as Ephesians 6 tells us, but we are fighting against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. In some ways, I'd rather fight against flesh and blood than spiritual enemies in wicked places, in heavenly places. And I want to read this passage from Ephesians 6, 10 to 20, to, to remind us, and we know the scripture well, to remind us that actually, as a church, we are engaged in battle every day. It might look different for you individually sometimes, but corporately as a church, we have an enemy. And it means if you have an enemy who's actively engaged against you, well then I would hope that we would be actively engaged against him. Otherwise, we lose, <laughs> which we don't. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in his power and his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may stand against the, the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith which, with which you will quench all the darts, the fiery darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I might open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, and it may be, that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We all know that passage. We've probably all read it a hundred times. Most of us have read Ephesians many times. It's, one of the, it's a great book in the Bible to read through. But it reminds us that we are, well, we need to be and actively are, in conflict. There's a, 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 spirit, a kingdom of darkness that is coming against the kingdom of light. And we are part of the kingdom of light, but it affects us individually and corporately. And so as I was reading these passages and as I was in 
just kind of prayer and thinking through these things and, 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 what, and thinking through the war cry, this thought came to me. I feel like many of us have forgotten, oh, let me say us, many in the church have forgotten that word war. And I would say actually that many have taken a position of welfare over warfare. I believe many in the church have taken position of welfare over warfare. Now, what I mean by that, I don't mean by welfare like social grants and social welfare. I mean welfare as in states of doing well, especially in respect to good fortune, happiness, well-being, and prosperity. And my fear is that the church and sometimes a lot of churches have been fed a steady diet of welfare, prosperity, and a health and wealth gospel which makes them the primary focus of the gospel, makes wealth and money the primary focus of the gospel, and takes away and forgets about the spiritual war that is raging. It becomes a gospel about you. And I'm sorry, if the gospel is about you, it's not the gospel. <laughs> As I've been on holiday, I've listened to a few things online, just watching and seeing what is out there in the world. And to be honest, a lot of the Christian things that I've listened to and watched don't even sound Christian anymore. I could barely recognize them as being Christian apart from maybe a few buzzwords, and yet millions of people flock to hear messages about themselves, about what God can do for them, but never about what they can do for God. Because who wants to be bothered with serving God in the kingdom when all he's there to do is bless me? It's this me first hashtag blessed gospel that has placed prosperity and my happiness and my possessions and my wealth and my status at the very heart of the gospel which it should never be. And I would say this, and I'm, I'm getting quite excited. <laughs> it's a deficient gospel. It is a deficient gospel. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 says this, For a time will come when we will not endure sound doctrine. Think about that. Not even listen to sound doctrine. We won't endure sound doctrine. But after their own, but people will go after their own lusts. And they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. And so my concern is, and I, I do hope that as a church we see through the superficiality of this so-called gospel which preaches really nothing else but your happiness and I'll get I'll qualify it now what I'm saying I hope we see through that because Matthew 6 says so clearly to us that we are to seek first the kingdom of God or we know that part seek first the kingdom of God 
Not money, not wealth, not prosperity. I, I, <laughs> how do I find myself in these places? I find, <laughs> on my Instagram reel, there was a thing. Listen to this or pray this prayer and you will receive a phone call in 12 minutes from someone who will give you great riches. Like, what? Seriously? It's everywhere. And no one phoned me, by the way. But <laughs> I, mean, I didn't like the post. That's why no one phoned me. It's that kind of thing. Literally. It's like, like this post and you will get five million rand in the next few weeks. I'm like, what the heck? Great, but this is not the gospel. Now, the question is, does Jesus not care about my welfare? Of course he does. Of course he does. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying seek the God and God's not worried about anything. Of course he, he cares for you and he loves you and he's cared, he cares about your welfare. Because in the same chapter in Matthew 6, 31, it says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles strive after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and these things will be added to you. We've kind of flipped the gospel around and gone, seek first riches and money and then God will maybe be added somewhere along the line. <laughs> I really want to tell you an example of something I heard, but I, I don't want to. It's just so, the theology was so bad. I was like, how are people listening to this stuff? And yet millions do. Millions. Because it promises their money. Now, as I've said, this is an extreme example. I get it. But there is something, I think, in our, in our fallen nature that is, that is something in our fallen nature that is, that is drawn to this thing, this familiarity of me being that priority and my needs being a priority. There's something in us that likes that. We need to be aware of that. And so as we come into the new year, are our thoughts about our welfare or the kingdom warfare? And if we are honest, if I'm honest, I think most of us, or I probably came in thinking more about my own plans and ambitions and what I would do for the kingdom in 2024. Because it's almost like we've been taught New Year's resolutions are what you do on New Year's Eve. And so we make these things of what we are going to accomplish in the new year. For me, it was like, it's always like getting fit. And <laughs> why is it always that? <laughs> or like eating better or surfing more. I surf today, so I'm winning, right? Yes. But it's that kind of like it's me focused. And so how many of us came in thinking about our own welfare or were we thinking about the kingdom? That's not to say that these things aren't important. Diet is, is good. It's good to eat well. It's good to exercise. It is. It is good to do those things. I've heard Christians say, I don't need to exercise because I'm seeking the kingdom. It's more important. Well, 1 Timothy 4 says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. Okay, so it is of some value. So don't discount it completely. Okay, so if you've got a New Year's resolution to do 10 sit-ups or 10 push-ups a day, keep at it. I hope that's not you. I hope that's not prophetic, but it might be. <laughs> Yo, it's hot. 
How many of us made New Year's resolutions about what we want to do? Or how many of us came in with kingdom ambitions like, I need to pray more? Here's a good one. Maybe I should fast more. <laughs> how can I serve the church better? How can I be more encouraging? How can I bring that new believer alongside me and disciple them? Maybe, maybe, maybe you did, and that's incredible, and I would encourage you in that. But I think often our scales are a little bit unbalanced, and we get caught up in the things of this world when actually we should be realigning ourselves and coming back to the things of the kingdom. What, what has God asked us to do? Why are we here? And as much as God cares for our welfare, I would say this, that God does care for our welfare. But at church, I do believe that we are actually called, I don't want to say for this season, because I think the church is always called for warfare. And we see warfare language throughout scripture. So we have to reckon with this, the, the idea that actually as a church and as people, as Christians, we need to be in this constant state of readiness. So 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be alert and a sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone who he may devour. Well, that's quite a serious scripture. Or Luke 10, 19, Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. So there's this language of there's going to be confrontation. And there should be confrontation when the kingdom of light is advancing and advancing over the, the territory of the kingdom of darkness. You would think that there's, there's, there's a conflict. You see, when Jesus approaches a man who's demonized, the, the demon said to him, have you come to torture us ahead of the allotted time? They knew why he was there. They were scared. They were petrified. And so we are in a battle. We might not be fighting all the time, but I suppose for many of us, there's personal things that we fight through on a daily basis, or maybe there might be, or as a church, I'm sure there are things that we, we will fight together. And so we need to be watchful and on guard. And we are called, commanded, and expected to, to fight, persevere, press on, press on, and stand firm. Yours is really hot here. Phew! I need like one of those little like, hankies. <laughs> ah, look at that. Thanks, Lucien. <laughs> no, that doesn't feel right because I'm the only one getting the fan. I'm sorry, I followed you. Yeah, okay. And so I guess another question would be, have we come into 2024 ready for battle? And that's a hard question to ask, because we've just come off leave, right? We come, come out of leave, and we're feeling a bit rested, and here's this guy standing up front of the microphone going, are we ready to fight? I'm like, uh, I don't know. I'm still thinking about like, the waves I caught earlier in the day. But I would challenge us, church, to, to not only have this mindset of a me, me, me welfare and actually go, there's a battle that needs to be fought. There are consequences to this battle that we are going to be fighting. I, I, 
trying to think of how I could illustrate this. So if I said to the church tomorrow, we are going to do a 10-day fast, what is your first reaction? Wait, 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 wait. What is your first reaction? My welfare, how it affects me, or this is an awesome opportunity to warfare for the kingdom of God. Let's be honest. Who thought welfare? Vince is very honest. Fantastic. Yeah, but it's true. There's no shame in it. Let's be honest. I think most of us would be, what an inconvenience, Dylan. Come on, man. Like, I don't want to fast. Always your mindset, actually, why is this fast being called? What is, it, what is this going to accomplish in the heavenly realms? What is this going to do for us as a church? And the reason I say a 10-day fast, because St. Francis Church has been going for two years, and for two years in a row, they have fasted for 10 days every year. In January. So here's what I think we're going to do, and I'm being serious about this now. From, the, from February the 1st, we're going to fast as a church for one day in February. And in March, we're going to fast for two days consecutively. And in April, we're going to fast for three days. And March, four days. And I've forgotten the other months. So in five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. <laughs> because I realized actually as a church, we don't have the muscle to fast for ten days. I would struggle to fast for 10 days, but as a church, we can build the muscle and go, do you know what? By the time we get to October, November, 10 days will be nothing. And we'll go, yes, we're fasting, not because we're depriving ourselves of food, but because we're taking this thing seriously and we want to war in the heavenlies. So, 1st of February, we're fasting. I read something on Facebook. If you're fasting and, what was it? If you're just fasting and not praying, you're having a diet. You're not dieting. So church, as the year starts, I was challenged by this. Remember Paul's words to Timothy, we are soldiers and not civilians. I feel like for all of us, and myself included, I don't want to go into this year slowly. I don't want to kind of ease myself into the year and then by the time March comes, I've kind of just got enough momentum to get going for the rest of the year. I would say this is a challenge. Church, it's time to step up to the battle line. On the 14th of January, now is the time for us to be front-footed about the rest of the year. And to go, God, what is your plan? We are in your army. You are commanding us. What are you asking us to do and how do we extend your kingdom? Step up to the battle line. Hide the word of God in your heart and have it on your lips. Put on the full armor of God that you would be able to stand. And then, once that is all done, and I don't know what it looks like for you personally, let out a war cry from the very depths of your being, a cry so filled with conviction that it strikes fear into the heart of the enemy. When last did you pray that you felt that you struck fear into the heart of the enemy as opposed to him striking fear into your heart? How often are we anxious and fearful because the enemy is just taking shots at us? And actually, we should be the one going, you know what? Like that demon, he was, he was petrified that Jesus was going to torture him. 
And we go, I don't, uh, what do we do in this situation? That we advance and we actually terrorize the enemy. <laughs> I don't know, is this too much for this 14th of January? <laughs> I'm sorry, if 500 boys in a boys' school can get excited about singing gibberish, how much more excited should we be about declaring the Word of God? Come on, this should be our cry. Guys, the war cry is the Word of God. Pick up the Word of God. Read it and declare it and go, God, this is my war cry. This is it. I stand on the Word of God. I will not be intimidated this year. We will not be pushed back in this area. And I'm not talking about name it and claim it. I'm talking about God. We, we request from you because you have all the power, God. Everything is from you, God. We submit ourselves to you. God, use us for God. We want to we just go into this area and convert people. Lord, we want to get converts, Lord Jesus. We don't want to waste our time just coming to church on Sunday. And what are we here for other than to win people to Christ? Really, what else are we here for? Go out and make disciples. Seriously, guys, it's the 14th of January. It's probably too late already. 1st of January. Why am I here? The kingdom. Let's go. <laughs> I don't want to wind myself up for the, for the year. I'm really wound up, you can see. <laughs> Seriously. Listen to this. I love this. Because this is David standing in front of Goliath, this little shepherd boy with a sling. And Goliath, this giant, is standing in front of him. And I love these. These are some of my favorite words in the Bible. David said to the Philistine, this should be our posture. This should be our posture. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. And I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give your carcass to the Philistine army, to the birds and to the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. <laughs> All those gathered here will know but this is not by sword or spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Warfare. Warfare. I hope this doesn't come across... I really do, as emotionalism or some kind of bravado, because that's not the heart of this. And I would actually pray, I really would, that if you're sitting here going, I have no conviction to fight, that you would ask God for his heart for the nations, for the lost. Because in Matthew 9, and this scripture is so powerful, he said he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, that is the heart of God to the lost, and that should be our heart towards the lost. So maybe in closing, a question to leave you with. What is your war cry for 2024? Go to the Word, allow yourself to be stirred up by the things of God, 
worry less about this life and seek first the kingdom of God. Now, as I said before, I hope I hope my words haven't been harsh, but there is a soberness to all of this. There really is. In fact, what is, what is 2024? What is, what is a year in lights of eternity? It's not really anything. It's just, an, it's just a number. And I loved what we were singing in those songs. A lot of those songs seem to talk about generations and generations and generations that have come before us. Like how incredible that we get to be part of the present generation that is representing the kingdom of God on earth. I don't know about you, but that is an incredible honor. It's an incredible honor that God would use us to reach people for the gospel. Maybe just in closing, um, got time. Maybe just in closing, you, you. Many of you would have known that my, um, the 27th of December, my stepfather passed away. And uh, it's the first time that I've been close to someone who's died. Well, it's the first time in my family where someone close to us has passed away. And uh, it was quite a surreal experience because I was at the death next to his bed with my mom and my two sisters, and uh, God in his kindness had allowed all of us to be with him when he passed away. And so as a family, we stood around his bed. And I've always heard the thing of, of this thing of your final breath. People always talk about, on, uh, until my final breath, I will whatever. And I always thought, well, that's quite interesting. I've, I've, never, I've never really thought that that's a real thing. Until I was with someone and I, I was standing next to their bed and I heard their final breath. And one minute they're breathing and the next minute they're not. And at that moment I realized, friends, once you've taken your final breath, it is too late to come to Christ. And I say that with all soberness because once you have taken your final breath, you will one day stand judgment before God. And either you have accepted Him as your Lord and Savior or you haven't. And either you will spend eternity with Him or you won't. And I don't like to think about the horrors of not being with Christ in eternity. And I'd like to think of, of the joy and the peace of being with Christ forever. But my friends, it became very clear to me at that point that this is very real. That that, that man made a profession of faith before he died. And I praise God for that. And I, I would encourage you, you've, you've never made a profession in Christ. There's a scripture that says, Today is the day of salvation. Today is a day of salvation that if you would come to Christ, admit that you have sinned against a holy God, that he will wash away your sin. And he will forgive you by the blood that he shed on the cross of Calvary. It's an incredible gift that we have not earned or merited. In fact, the scripture says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about that. 
while you were still in the depths of your worst sin, Christ died for you so that you might receive freedom and forgiveness from everything that you've ever done against a perfect and holy God. So I wonder if we can just bow our heads, because I would like to ask us. I don't know everyone in this room, and I never want to let an opportunity go past where people might not have an opportunity to receive Christ. And so I would ask, in light of that, if, if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, if you've never asked Him to forgive your sins, if you, and again, I've never said this before, but having seen my stepfather die, if you die, or if you find yourself that you might die and you don't know if you've accepted Christ, I would encourage you today to accept Him. Because His promise is life eternal. Life with Him forever. Eternity with Christ. What a joy. And so is there anyone here this afternoon who has never accepted Christ